Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Bot Talk. Welcome to episode 12. This is the first ever time we've done a live premiere on YouTube. I don't know how this is gonna go. This is obviously pre recorded, that's how the premiere function on YouTube works. If you guys are watching this after the fact, if you're on Spotify right now, or you're watching this as a YouTube video, then just know this was live streamed live on YouTube as a live event for the first ever time. We're gonna experiment with this concept and see how it goes. So, I'm sorry if the launch of this episode is shaky or something goes wrong. However, if you guys are in the live stream right now, please go ahead and subscribe and drop a like. I'm going to try to shoot for 50 likes this live stream and let's see if we can hit 1,150 subscribers this live stream. I really, really hope this does go well. Hope you guys enjoy. Sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Jumping straight into today's episode, guys, we have Sneaky Formwalk Bot, which at the moment is one of the most dominant bots on the market, which supports Shopify and foot sites and their following stretches over 29,000 followers on Twitter. Jumping straight into today's episode, the one question we ask all our guests on the show, how did you discover reselling? I think I've been aware of reselling for a long time, but I didn't, uh, I still don't consider myself much of a reseller. Uh, I don't really like reselling on the whole. I mean, I think ideally everybody would be able to get the products they want for retail and everybody would be happy, but uh, there's money to be made, so I get it. Uh, I personally don't, uh, do do a whole lot of reselling if there's an absolute obvious drop that's happening like Travis Scott shoes of any kind um, you know I'll try for it a little bit and just scoop a pair and flip that but on the whole uh, I'm generally just in it for personal pairs and uh, helping out some friends and family get pairs that they want. I uh, see that is a very interesting take because most people that do actually go ahead and create bots they are known to do reselling beforehand and then when they see that little space for them they go ahead and create their own bot but it's interesting to see that you're not very interested in reselling unless it's a hugely profitable job or something that you want for personal so that is quite interesting to hear moving on to the next question you did say that you didn't do much reselling how did you discover this whole reselling market how did you become aware that all these products do have a aftermarket where you can create profits and how did you go from discovering this market to deciding to create a bot uh, i think in regards to just like sneakers and streetwear uh the first kind of glimpse i had into it was striking out on some asics back in the day like this was around the time that uh ronnie was pumping out his first pairs of asics uh concepts had some really nice asics back in the day the the gel light threes and fives um and those weren't even flipping for insane numbers like shoes are, have done since then um but i remember not getting pairs of those and then seeing uh, the prices they went for and i was like this is stupid i'm i'm not paying that when <laughs> it should cost this much uh mm. and then I, I from there uh i think it was around the time ultra boost came out um i pre-ordered the first ultra boost and got those um and then I, I originally got them to run in and they weren't great for me for running um but i did like them just for personal wear uh, so I, I ended up trying to get some of those and after striking out on some different ultra boost releases mm -hmm. uh, I decided I would make a monitor on Twitter and so I started monitoring Shopify and anytime a new product would go live uh, the, the monitor would tweet um, I guess this was back in was it 2015 that the ultra boost came out so yeah. around then um, and 
from there, uh, I think if anybody was around at the time and remember Soul Martyr, uh, he posted some screenshots from HipChat, uh, where he had bots that would post links to the products, but also with cart links and all of that. And that was the first time I had ever seen any of that. Uh, and at the time, I was using Slack. So I moved my Twitter to mo Twitter monitor over to Slack and had a few friends come with me, help me uh, test it out and improve it. Uh, at one point, Shopify had cart holds, and so my monitor would actually cart uh, new products when they went live, which would then put them on a five-minute hold, and then it would post a encoded string with all of the cookies for that cart mm -hmm. uh, into the Slack, and then one of me or my friends could go and copy that string and plug it into a Chrome extension that I made, and then that would open up the cart with all of the proper cookies and everything. And then we would have a few minutes to check out uh, while that stock was being held. Um, and then I guess when it was, I had kind of dabbled with uh, full automated checkout and around the time that Shopify got rid of cart holds was kind of when I was finishing up my first kind of command line bot. And I guess it all just kind of went from there. I see. So that is quite interesting. You did slowly develop a bot in multiple regions to essentially get these products uh, really easily coding all these programs to go ahead and grab these products and it's interesting to see how the code has developed through Shopify changing up because if you were to say someone today that Shopify had car hold now that idea that isn't very apparent because Shopify has became very hard to bot recently so it's, uh, it's nice to see that your code has developed and obviously it's created this big bot that people know today but moving on to the next question once you created this bot and once you created the idea to create automation software for people to use. Why did you decide on the name WhatBot? The name WhatBot, uh, I guess, kind of came from not having a name. And I was talking with Nico, um, sweet baby Nico on Twitter. Uh, he is a friend of mine and we were discussing names and I had seen a lot of people uh, pretty much in every success tweet that you would see probably prior to WhatBot becoming a thing. Uh, people would post a screenshot of a receipt or whatever, and then the first reply would always be "What bot?" question uh, mark. And so I, I thought it'd be really funny to just kind of ruin that entire conversation, I guess. And I floated it by Nico, and he thought it was really good. And that's pretty much it. I just thought it would be funny, I guess. Ah, I see. So there is a comedic level to the name. I mean, commonly these days when people do mention the bot, there is that comedic level there. So it's nice to see the consumers and people who are fans of WhatBot have clicked onto that comedic niche of the name. But moving on to the next question, when you go ahead and any developer goes ahead and creates a bot, they always want to choose what they want to focus their efforts on and what they want to focus their code on. What were some of the dominating factors that made you side with coding on Shopify and foot sites compared to making a bot that, for example, supports Adidas or Supreme? I think Shopify just kind of stumbled into it just from the nature of starting with a monitor for Shopify and then uh, moving to the cart hold thing and then into the fully automated checkout. Mm -hmm. I, I guess from there, I just organically moved into a Shopify bot. It wasn't like a conscious decision of this over something else. Um, but I did like all of the APIs and things that were available on Shopify. So that's kind of the path I took. Uh, mm -hmm. And then as far as adding foot sites, it was mostly uh, Alias, who is the second developer for WhatBot. Uh, he joined back in May of this year. And 
once he joined, it meant that I wouldn't have to throw all of my time at Shopify uh, and that'd be the only thing that I could, you know, consistently maintain. It meant that we had a lot more room to, to do more. And he and I spoke and talked through all of our options as far as which sites we felt like we could tackle and where we might be able to have a competitive advantage. And we settled on foot sites and kind of dove in there. I think we added it to the bot around the time Lundmark's dropped the, the Yeezy 350s. Mm-hmm. And those, uh, we didn't really have it fully tested and fully implemented. So we put it in there kind of as a Hail Mary and a opportunity to, to test. Uh, zero checkouts did not work. Uh, but then the next drop, uh, we got it in there, I think was Satins. And we absolutely crushed those once we had a chance to like fully put everything in. So um, I think it's been a good decision. And as we look to the future, we'll, we, we want to make sure that we select platforms and sites that we think we can maintain for the long run and that we think uh, we can show proper success on. Well, that is a very good thing to hear from a consumer standpoint and from consumers that actually do want to get the product. They will definitely want the developers to be very fluent and very positive towards the platforms they are buying to maximize success and overall create a good buying experience for the consumers of the product because commonly within bots, consumers do run into the problem that developers simply don't know how to combat anti-botting from these platforms. So it's very nice to hear that you are confident with these sites and you'd only invest time and effort into sites and platforms that you're confident with botting. Moving on to the next question. What inspired the unique system allowing users of BotBot on a rare occasion to invite friends to use the software? So originally when I made WhatBot, I don't think, I had any, I mean, I definitely didn't have any idea that it would become as big as it is today. I think originally, um, I mean, I I looked at a lot of the bots that were out there and I saw a lot of the headaches that they had around uh, just users raging at them when things didn't go well and all of that kind of stuff. And I was just like, I I don't want that headache. So uh, I thought for the longest time that it would be kind of a just friends and family bot. Uh, and, you know, I would have uh, a friend that knew somebody that I didn't know wanted to get the bot, that sort of thing. So I came up with the idea of the invite system. And at the, at the time, I thought oh, there might be like 50 users. Um, and now we're, we're just over 1,500. So it's kind of grown a little bit beyond that. But I think that the invite system combined with uh, what bot only being month to month rather than uh, any kind of purchase to uh, like large purchase up front and you get it for six months or something like that is that it's allowed what bot to kind of grow a slightly different community. Um, don't get me wrong, our general chat still gets uh, pretty obnoxious, especially on a drop day. But I do think that on the whole, uh, we've got a pretty good community. Uh, people tend to treat each other pretty respectfully. Uh, and if they don't, then their membership doesn't renew. So it's uh, it makes it feel kind of like a, a nice place to be. Um, and with the invite system, it kind of means that if you come in through another member, uh, hopefully that's kind of like a vouch. And that uh, means that we'll get higher quality members. Uh, at least that's generally the idea. Um, kind of the, the downside to that, though, is that if 
I have all the invites and I give them to a few of my friends and then their friends and their friends. Ultimately, you need to know somebody that knows me, that knows me or knows a friend of mine or whatever uh, in order to get the bot, which as it grew, I felt like wasn't super fair. And I think uh, I wanted to try and cater to people that maybe were interested but didn't know anyone that I knew. So I started giving away invites. And now I think there's quite a large audience uh, and a large variety of members uh, that have what bots. So uh, the invite system has changed a little from its initial concept, but I do think that um, I I'm really happy that, that I decided to go with the system and uh, would definitely recommend it to anybody else who's thinking about going this path. Well, it is interesting. It didn't intrigue me at first when I did first discover Wobbot because of the fact that when I first thought of the system, I thought, well, this doesn't really enforce sales really well. It doesn't really grow the uh, population of the bot. But then once I started to think about it, and some of the points you just mentioned, you are kind of guaranteeing yourself a range of skilled users within your bot's population. Because if it goes on the basis of a friend of a friend, let's say one user that is stayed within what bot cooks on a consistent basis, maybe at a certain chance, their friends will cook at a certain same success rate obviously that will enforce the amount of success within the bot and overall i do think it's a very very good idea it goes against that kind of general restock idea of like restocking once a month on their site it kind of creates a very very tight community and like you mentioned before it is a month-to-month -month thing there is no six months or years thing so if at any point a user wants to dip out they just simply just don't pay the invoice and then they dip out the key gets burned i think that maintains a very very positive community within the slack now moving on to the next question another very rare thing with Wobbot, you guys don't allow reselling or renting on any level how has that positively affected WhatBot and what were some of the factors on deciding this? Written a little bit about um, not allowing the reselling of WhatBot or WhatBot invites. Uh, and it's I think it's the, the link in the bio on our Twitter account. But generally the idea is that uh, I, I think it's a little different than reselling a, a product like, uh, like, like a pair of shoes. Um, if you sell me a pair of Nikes for $1,000, even if they only cost $100 originally, I know what I'm getting, right? I'm getting the pair of shoes, hopefully authentic, uh, from you, and I'm paying $1,000 for it. I'm saying that this pair of shoes is worth $1,000 to me. Um, where I think that fails is in software. I, I don't think that software as a service, at least, works within resale because it creates a place where toxicity could become a problem between the developer and the users of the software. Um, if I have a software that I think is worth $30 a month, um, which I think is, is a really good price for what what bot offers currently, uh, but you buy it from someone else for $1,000, now that puts a lot of extra pressure on me to deliver to you $1,000 worth of value out of this bot, right? It's no longer the $30 a month that I uh, want the agreement to be between myself and the users. Uh, instead, now there's this huge weight hanging over your head to recoup this $1,000. And so if the bot doesn't perform well for you, that then probably makes you a little more angry than you would be if you had spent $30 on the bot, right? Um, and then to top it off, that $1,000 that you paid, I didn't get any of that, right? So it's, it's not like there's this extra tension between me and you because you paid extra for the bot, uh, 
but it's okay because I got paid. I didn't get paid. I got $30 a month, and now I owe you $1,000 worth of value. And so to me, that system doesn't work well. Um, and to date, we've banned uh, a, a bunch of members for either selling their key or selling their invites um, or even discussing selling. We, we just if, if we get something around those lines, then you're banned. Um, and it's I feel bad. I think there are people that have paid a bunch of money for an invite and then they join the Slack and see that there's a message in their DM that says their account's being terminated and they now have to figure out how to get that money back from the person they bought it from. Um, but I, I do think that on the whole, this uh, system has worked pretty well for us. Um, we still have people rage. Um, and I understand being upset when things don't work for you. Trust that uh, as the developer of WhatBot, I want nothing more than for everybody to be able to get the things they want with it. Um, but unfortunately, that's just not how it always goes. And being upset is one thing, but doing being upset in a very disrespectful manner is something that uh, we don't really allow within what bot. And so if that sort of thing happens, I tend to DM somebody and explain like, hey, dude, I understand being upset. You just got to not not rage so hard at us. Uh, and then I created a channel within the Slack called Fuck Everything. And kind of in there, um, everything goes. If people are salty, they can go in there and yell. But I think actually that channel has basically just become uh, a second general chat that's a little more chill and loose uh, and some people tend to like it there better. I think on the whole, the positive of that decision is that there's a pretty good relationship between myself and uh, the other staff members uh, and the members of WebBot. Uh, I, I, I feel like on the whole, there's not as much uh, of a strained relationship there. Um, people still get salty about things not working out, but I do feel like from what I've seen in screenshots uh, and complaints of other bots, discords, or whatever, uh, we tend to have a slightly more civilized chat. Uh, again, on drop days, it's it's still kind of chaos in general chat, but um, I'm pretty happy with the, the community that we've got and how, on the whole, people handle themselves. Well, from your previous answers on the answer you just gave me, it feels like WhatBot is really, really enforcing this positive community. And I feel like that is very, very much needed within these uh, bot Discord and Slacks and community groups, just because there is a lot of toxicity within these groups. So it's nice to see that there is one place that's obviously very hard to get into, but there is one place where it is a lot more or slightly more positive than other places so it's nice to see that you're reinforcing that and it's nice to see the owners actually taking steps forward to maintain that positive part and also if you want to be toxic or if you want to like let out your aggression then there is a place for that in the discords so i feel like it caters towards all users and all feelings they could be feeling on a drop moving on to the next question what were some of the assumptions you made going into creating WhatBot that turned out to be completely wrong that is a good question the first assumption that i made was that what but wouldn't be more than like 50 users um and i wrote a post um, around the time that what hit one year just kind of outlining the history of uh the first year of running a bot like this uh and that's on on my twitter somewhere um but in there, I kind of talk about how my initial target was around 50 users, and then we hit 50 users, and 
it was easy. Like I was like, all right, yeah, we can, we can add a few more. And then I was like, all right, maybe 200 will be good. And we got to 200 and 200 wasn't that bad. So every time I've set kind of a, a bar for what I think membership should be at, it ends up, uh, we end up getting there and then it's, it's totally fine and, and manageable and things keep trucking on. So I've stopped kind of setting membership caps in my mind. Uh, I feel like right now we're at like a pretty good membership, but I, I don't hard cap membership because I don't want, let's say we have 1500 members right now and uh, somebody wants to stop using WebBot, but they also want to be able to get back in in the future. If they know that there are only 1500 spots, they may feel obligated to keep paying for WebBot just to keep their spot, even though they don't want to use WebBot right now. And I don't like the idea of that. I want people paying for WebBot each month because they feel like they're getting value out of it and they're using it. So we won't ever hard cap the number of members in WebBot, but uh, we are kind of conscious of growth and making sure that as we add more people, we can support and provide a good service to all of them. I didn't really have a lot of assumptions going in in general, just because I think I really underestimated what this would ever be. Uh, and if you're thinking this is just going to be this thing that some friends can use, you, you aren't really thinking about anything beyond that. So I, yeah, I think that was kind of the only assumption I made and everything from there, I, I guess I've just been making it up as I go along. Well, it's worked very, very well. And I, I'm sure loads of people can see that. It's nice to see that you didn't have that huge mindset at first. You just wanted to create it for like an FNF vibe. And then it kind of grew into this huge thing. And it actually kind of segues very nicely into the next question. And combined with the mindset of not making this a huge company, in a sense, when this became a very, very big brand, what were some of the positive effects and also some of the negative effects of this happening? The, the positive effects, and I think this is actually one of the hardest things, especially if you're a new bot, just kind of trying to break into the scene, is that you need users. You need good users or else your success is going to look bad. Um, and the bots with more users are going to have more chances for those users to have success. If you've got 10 users and they're each running 100 tasks and another bot has 1,000 users each, uh, and each of those users is running 50, that other bot still got you beat by a vast margin um, on the number of tasks that are running. And when you're competing for hundred shoes that drop on a site, um, I would probably rather be the bot owner of the one that has a thousand users than the one that has 10. Um, it's just a numbers game on a lot of this, you know? Um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest positive effects as we grew, um, is just the, the more users you have, especially if those users are proficient, um, kind of the better you're going to look, uh, and, and, Honestly, it's I enjoy watching other people check out with WhatBot more than I do uh, checking out myself. I think it's just a lot more rewarding experience to see uh, other people using this thing that you've made and having success with it. Um, as far as the the negative effects, uh, the bigger WhatBot got, um, kind of the more it just bled into every aspect of my personal life. It's it can be a very consuming thing, but um, adding in a second developer, um, an alias, uh, who's been a total godsend. He's just a really awesome guy. Uh, really uh, have enjoyed working with him, and he's super talented. 
Uh, and then additionally, we added two support staff uh, not that long ago, maybe a couple months ago, month and a half ago, something like that. Um, and those were uh, great additions to the team and really allowed me to kind of step back from doing as much of the day-to-day -day support uh, and focus a little more on the product, which uh, has, has been a really, really good shift, I think. Moving on to the next question. When you look for someone to recruit to Wattbot, what are some of the characteristics or personality traits or skill sets that you look for within a person? First of all is uh, I, they need to be somebody that I trust uh, and that I feel like I can trust. When Alias first started working for Whatbot, um, I just saw him posting about some Shopify stuff on Twitter and thought that he maybe knew, knew a few things. And uh, we started talking and I think we started talking in like February of this year and then he didn't join the team until like May um, but it was just a lot of like getting to know him um, I, I, this was kind of this thing that I had built all by myself and when you add other people to it it's you're giving up a little bit of that control um, you know I, I think that Alias in some ways represents what bot as a company, um, as do the support staff. So I want to make sure that I pick people that, you know, can handle themselves well. That's kind of first and foremost. And, and then from there, I look for um, talent and passion uh, are the biggest things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be talent now, but I think maybe like talent that is, is there and, and can grow. Um, I think Alias is one of the better developers uh, on any bot team and i also think that he's nowhere near his ceiling like he he's got a lot of room to grow um and even just since he's joined what bot his uh passion for looking into new tech and finding new ways to do things uh has been really inspiring so uh those are the kind of things that um both in potting and in my day job where i am also in sometimes in charge of hiring people uh those are the kinds of things i look for touching on going off script here and touching on something you just mentioned you said that you have a day job do you mind explaining what your day job is or is that something you like to keep right oh um i would prefer not to go into specifics but uh my day job is design so um i'm actually a full-time uh graphic designer uh, mostly focused on digital experiences like websites and apps and, and that sort of thing and i've been doing that for oh shit like 20 years well that is amazing to hear you have a very successful company online and also you have your passion as a day job as well so i feel like that is best of both worlds really and congrats to you for maintaining that and having that type of lifestyle but moving on to your next question something you mentioned earlier in one of your answers you did say that you'd rather have your users cook with what bot compared to yourself so obviously you do like seeing other users have success now let's say what bot doesn't do so well on a site or on a drop day what does the success have an effect on your life i mean i i feel like I can mostly speak for any other bot developer out there. Uh, it feels fucking terrible when uh, you don't have the success that you expect or if you completely flop on, on a drop. Um, luckily, we haven't had a, a full flop on anything, and, um, but we have had some drops where things didn't go as planned. You know, um, Success was a little more limited than, than we hoped, and it doesn't feel good. Uh, it, it can get to you, um, especially... I think it's it's so strange to me when I see all of the uh, 
users of a bot just raging at the the developer of the bot or something like that developer wanted them to fail, which is just absolutely not true. Um, it may be that the, the developer didn't get in enough work going into a drop or something like that. Um, and we, we try to make sure that we're always pushing updates. I, I, I don't have any other bots that I, that I use. Um, so I don't get to see kind of how frequently they're pushing out updates, but um, with WhatBot, we try to make sure that we're pushing out updates as frequently as, as we can. Um, we don't really do any sort of beta or FNF releases of the bot. And instead, uh, we try to push everything directly to the users uh, in hopes that you know every little last minute tweak will allow us to see the most success. Um, I think there have been times that our quickness to get the latest code out to everyone have backfired. And that's been some of those times where we've seen uh, limited success. But then uh, you you have drops like the Travis Scott uh, Jordan 6s that dropped uh, not too long ago. Uh, I think as far as I know, we had the most checkouts for uh, that drop on the Travis Scott site. And it was largely due to a hotfix that Alias pushed out uh, kind of right at the last minute um, that allowed us to to see that. So, um, yeah, I think that I think that answers the question. Plus a, a little bit of random stuff you didn't ask about. Yeah, it actually did answer the question. And I feel like most devs can resonate with what you just said, where they obviously it makes them sad not to see their bot do so well. But it's obviously a dominating factor as to increasing success in these drops is obviously frequent updates and things you did mention. But moving on to the next question. On the flip side, when WhatBot does insanely well, what are the type of things you keep in your mind to keep yourself humbled and focus on just improving the bot and also pushing forward into future releases? We've had um, pretty good success, uh, a strong showing for the past couple of months straight. Uh, but in, in that, I don't think we've, we've really stopped at all. We've consistently pushed updates every week, um, multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day, just to make sure in the event there's a drop or a restock or, or whatever there may be, um, our users are as prepared as we can help them be. Uh, you know, those, those really good drop days, uh, they, they feel great, um, but it's everything can change in a single day. Um, you can have one change brick the entire checkout process of your bot. So uh, there's really no chance to just kind of sit back and rest on the code that you've got. You've got to constantly keep updating. So we, we do our best to stay on top of it. Well, that is very good to hear. And I feel like that is very, very reassuring for all users of WebBot and users that do want to come into WebBot. Now, moving on to the next question. What do you expect from WebBot when it comes to drops in the future? Do you expect yourself and what bot to maintain the success can you see it dropping down or can you see the success increasing like it is right now i mean i think we're we're hopeful um and we'll do everything in our power to keep success increasing um but i think we're also realistic and we know that just as easily we can drop to no checkouts on the next drop right it's it's uh such a interesting space that we're in um, most software that people develop uh, even people that develop software and plugins and that sort of stuff for shopify they're using 
documented APIs with um, a staff of developers at the company um, that can you know, respond to questions and help them with support. Uh, whereas a lot of what we do is leverage undocumented things, little bits and pieces that we can find here and there. And when those things change, it's not like we're notified that, hey, this, I, this API changed and you probably want to update your code. Um, as they would do if we were developing, uh, you know, say an authorized piece of software. Uh, so I think that again, I, I hope that we continue to see the success that we've been having and then some. Um, but you know, we we also wouldn't be surprised if all of that changes and we have to work even harder than we're already working to to get back on top. But that's a very good mindset for developers to have. I feel like that does reflect on the current success of the bot and that will continue to re reflect on the future success of the bot and uh, hopefully the success does continue to increase. But moving on to the final question, what can users of WhatBot expect in the near future? Do you have any new sites being planned, new additions, new features? What is on the table for the future? We try to make sure that we don't add anything to the bot that we can't uh, maintain in the long run. So we didn't add foot sites to the bot uh, in addition to Shopify until we felt like we could maintain foot sites for the long term. Um, we don't want to add a feature or add a platform to the bot and then have to take it away. Um, we know that feels bad. So we're very cautious in adding new things. Um, and we also want to make sure that we don't just abandon all of the stuff that we've got currently or maybe neglect it so that we can keep adding new shiny things to the bot. So um, with that said, though, we do uh, what bot currently isn't even 1.0 um, if as if version numbers matter, really. Uh, but we are going to have a 1.0 release. And it's something that we've started doing a lot of planning for um, between myself and Alias. and. Uh, I think we're we're in a good spot to kind of start diving into that a little more seriously. Uh, so hopefully we can uh, get Shopify and foot sites uh, into a place where we can keep them maintained. Uh, so we'll avoid adding a ton of new features right now um, unless they're kind of critical to success. Uh, while we focus on uh, creating 1.0, which will hopefully have a lot of uh, exciting new features and uh, open up the door for us to add new platforms and sites. Well, that is very exciting to hear. And I really, really hope that WorldBot do continue to succeed in everything they do. And the future is looking very, very bright for WorldBot. So it's very, very nice to hear. Moving on to the final part of today's episode, probably the most anticipated part of today's episode. Everyone knows what's going to happen within the next few moments, handing over to Sneaky to finish off the episode. So we uh, have a few invites. Uh, granted, it is not many of them. We're going to drop 10 invites right now. Um, and the way that we're doing this is that we are going to post a Discord server invite code on the screen and there will be 10 people that get through using this code and then the code will no longer work. So here's your time to open Discord and be ready to input the code and go.